Hello and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Elijah. And Tristan, where the heck are you, bud? Loser. Loser. Thank you for that, Doug. Uh, but yeah, Tristan I, I is Tristan is off celebrating a birthday somewhere, uh, so he cannot be here with us tonight. Not his. Not his birthday, that is right. Uh, it is somebody else's birthday. Um, so it's just the three of us tonight. How you it boys is. doing? I'm doing great. All right. Elijah, how you doing, buddy? Not bad. You uh, feeling the effects of those uh, superpowers yet? Yeah, I got the COVID vaccine round one today. All right. Um, and the only superpower I've experienced is not going into anaphylactic shock. So that's good. Cool. All right. Well, uh, and you know you celebrated by watching a movie. Yeah. It's a great movie. Yeah. What do we watch? Well, Ben, the movie that we watched this week is the 2003, I think at least amongst our generation, smash hit uh, Holes, starring Shia LaBeouf, uh, <clears throat> Shia LaBeouf, Sigourney Weaver, John Voight, Tim Blake Nelson, uh, I need to get his name, why will his name not pull up, uh, Cleo Thomas, uh, and a bunch of other folks. And uh, Dulé Hill. And Dulé Hill. Um, like I said, a bunch of other folks came out in 2003, uh, directed by, wow, I'm just off my game today, directed by Andrew Davis, uh, based on the book by Louis Sakar. We all think that that's how you pronounce his name, and if we're wrong, we're very sorry, Mr. Sakar, Mr. Sakar. Um, <laughs> and if we but, get it uh, wrong, close, but no Sakar, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Abso-friggin' Wow, that joke was a lot better than my segue. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. This movie was made for a budget of twenty million dollars, grossed cumulatively seventy-one million. Uh, Ratings-wise, holds a seven out of ten on IMDb, a seventy-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, seventy-one percent on Metacritic, and a ninety percent on Google. I really like this movie. I think it's a really, really, really good movie from my childhood. Um, what a what, uh, what about y'all? What are y'all's experience with, experiences with it? I really can't talk tonight. It's okay. That's why you're on a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, um, for once, I've actually seen the movie, but not only have I seen the movie, I read the book. Now, granted, it's been a long time since I've read the book, so I don't remember much of it, but I have read the book. Yeah, and Doug, you might have predicted that i read the book but i didn't all my friends in school read that one and i just never got around to it but like you and i think like both of y'all i saw the movie a ton it uh it was one of those movies that was on disney channel or abc family like regularly yeah is this this isn't a disney channel original movie no, right no it's not i guess it's if not. it's based it on a book a... it couldn't be right yeah it was a theatrical release Right. Yeah, okay. I think it was released by Touchstone, which yeah, is like okay. Disney's like sister company when they want to release something that's a little more edgy. <laughs> I was going to say this this doesn't feel like a Disney Channel original movie cuz it's good. It does good. not feel like something like The 13th Year yeah. or or something the like Irish. Okay, I just want to point this out, Bid, um, and this is only because you are the oldest person on this podcast, but like you did just date yourself by having those as your first two DCOMs that came to Hey, and those are two movies that are awesome. 
I Except remember when those came no, out. No, thirteenth year sucks. What? Year no, sucks. get get out it's of terrible. here, Doug. Doug, get it's terrible. The, Doug, I will remove. I've you never from understood why people like that. Movie. I will. I've never understood. You. It's so I bad. Will cut you out of this Zoom call. Go ahead, do it. Try, <laughs> try me. Uh, Elijah, you were on, saying something, and I cut you off. Uh, so Elijah, you like this movie, right? <laughs> yeah, I asked because I remembered seeing the the uh, commercials for it on Disney uh, with the freaking song that Doug was singing at the beginning of the Zoom call. Dig it out, 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 dig it, dig it out, out, out. And you know, ow. we all we all heard that song and saw Shia LaBeouf, and we were like, I don't know what it is, but I'm ready to see it. Mm-hmm. So I saw Shia LaBeouf and some shovels and some dirt. And some uh, yellow spotted lizards. <laughs> yep, that's a recipe for a great movie. <laughs> it sure is. Okay, so this is—I'll date myself because I do not remember this movie coming I out in theaters. Too, Say that again. I said I would date you too. Thank you. Um, I do not remember this movie coming out in theaters. Like it came out in two thousand three, but that was also during that like period of time where like if I didn't actually go and see the movie, it didn't exist. Um, so yeah. Uh, but uh, but I also watched this movie a lot growing up. I did not read the book. However, I did watch this movie on Disney Channel on a Sunday. And that Monday, I took an AR test on the book. And I got a 90. And I don't nice. know why I remember that so well. <laughs> but it's the clear, like, of all the AR tests that I took growing up, that's the one that I remember clearest in my mind. Right on. <laughs> Wow. Do y'all remember AR tests? Yep. I just said the only memory I have of them is that. Wow. What a time. Uh, yeah. So what's this movie about? Wow. My segues. Ugh. It's okay. It's okay. I think we're I think we're kind of having an off night. talking. Yeah. When we talk about a movie that we all genuinely love, um, it's, it's bound to cause some problems. Um, we get all fuzzy and bamboozled elijah could you explain the plot of this movie to the people in as epic of a way as you can epic i was my instinct was to go for brief but it's <laughs> about this kid named stanley yelnats the fourth uh, it's a family tradition in his family that everybody's all the men are named stanley because it's yelnats backwards and uh they believe that they're the subject of a family curse and our young hero See, that makes it sound epic, doesn't it, Doug? Our young hero, played by Shia LaBeouf, doesn't really believe in the curse. However, he ends up... cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, him. Uh, But before that. (laughs) And he ends up uh, getting in legal trouble for stealing shoes, which he did not do. So apparently it's the curse. And he's given the choice to go to jail or go to Camp Green Lake, which sounds good to him. So he goes, but finds out it's pretty bad. There's no lake. It's not really a camp. Everybody, all the kids are in prison jumpsuits, and the overseers make them go out there and dig five-foot holes out in the sun, out in the heat, every day, and there's rattlesnakes and poisonous lizards and stuff out there, and it's just a nightmare. Um, He ends up getting entangled in a little bit of a mystery that involves his own family, his own ancestors, uh, and he, he befriends this kid they call Zero, and... His family history also ends up tangled up in there, along with a little bit of local lore about a woman who killed a lot of people. <laughs> um, 
And and so it ends up being there are stories interwoven throughout this movie, or I guess the book. I didn't read the book, but there's like it's two that or way three. In the book too, from what yeah, I remember. there's like two or three narratives that end up uh, related to each other through this, through these family ties, these connections between ancestors and descendants. And at the end of the movie, um, you you kind of find out who Zero is that he's descended from one of the characters you heard about in one of the other stories and uh the main character who they call caveman stanley yelnats also known as caveman and zero they end up discovering some treasure that stanley technically owns um through uh his inheritance and so they they end up splitting it between them between stanley's family and zero and that's your happily ever after ending all right that probably Man. wasn't epic enough for you doug nah not. Nah. Elijah, dude, it was like listening to one of the classic 90s movie trailers, you know, in a world. I loved it. Loved in a it. world Big fan. where holes are dug, <laughs> two young boys find themselves at the precipice of life. Wow. You know what? Not gonna lie, while he was recapping the plot of this movie, I like, in my head, remembered word for word, or remembered like shot for shot what the commercial was for this on Disney Channel. <laughs> It was like Henry Winkler, Winkler coming on and just being like, our family's cursed! It's cursed. And then, uh, and then Shia LaBeouf gets hit on the head with shoes and he's, like, and he's in court and he's like, I've never been to camp. <laughs> so he goes to camp. Hmm. Um, he but, thinks. Uh, so yeah. let me tell you, I actually forgot that Henry Winkler was in this until he walked on screen and I'm like, Hey, and and he physically looked at the audience and he was like, "Hi, folks. I'm Henry Winkler. I'll be playing the role of Stanley Yelnats <laughs> the Third. Yes. Uh, enjoy the production." And then he uh, took a made a little wink at the camera and went, "Hey, <laughs> hey." Uh, yeah, that's the that's the funny thing. Um, if you watch this movie on Disney Plus, they've CGI'd a leather jacket <laughs> on Henry Winkler. Uh, so that he always looks like the Fonz going, hey, 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 I forgot to share part of my experience with this movie. Oh, so yes, I have, please. I have this nostalgic attachment to the movie, just like you guys do. And when Disney Plus came out at first, everybody was talking about Disney Plus, And I was like, yeah, that's cool, I guess. But then I remember sitting next to somebody scrolling through all the stuff that's on Disney Plus, And I went, wait a second, Holes is on here? <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Holes was not on there originally. Oh yeah, you had to, we had to wait a full year. I set a reminder on my phone for when <laughs> Holes would be available on Disney Plus. I'm not even joking. I set two reminders on my phone for when things would be put on Disney Plus. I put one on for Holes. Do y'all have thought? Do y'all have any guesses on what the second one was? Um, you might get it. You you really might get it. It's is a it movie. A show that, or a movie? It's a movie. movie. It's a movie. Theatrical release, not a decom. Um, came out, I believe, two years after this. Is it live action? Yeah. I've talked about it on this podcast before. Um. I'll give you five seconds, because otherwise this is just dead air. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Yeah, we should probably this. cut some of this. <laughs> okay, it's Sky High. Oh, oh. that's right. <laughs> and yes. Sky High took a year and a half to get on there. Gotcha. Yes, Doug, you have yammered about that movie. I don't know why I didn't guess that. I'm kind the of one that I'm waiting on that at least the last I checked is not on there 
is my date with the president's daughter if y'all remember that <laughs> i don't think it's gonna be on there i think That's i know it's an abc property well actually it it should be on there I'd say it disney, should be but last i disney checked owns, right yeah date. um but yeah, uh but, it is still not on there yeah well if i had more time i'd look up why but we're well, recording Y'all, one of the uh, one of the interesting things that this movie does is it covers probably about two centuries worth of information, maybe more, um, in the span of a hour and a half long movie. Uh, and the way that it chooses to do that is with a lot of overlapping, intertwining dual plot lines and storylines. Um, the primary two being uh, Stanley Yelnats is str- his struggle. Uh, at Camp Green Lake as a prisoner um, at that camp. And then you also have the story of Kate Barlow, who became the outlaw kissing Kate Barlow back in the 1800s. What uh, where are our thoughts on the ways that this movie handles those uh, intertwining plot lines? Uh, there's another one, too. There's the uh, ancestors of the Yelnats clan and the Zeroni clan. And their original interactions in Eastern Europe somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I mean, I would say that I think they all work very well together because they all do tie up really nicely. Like um, something that I noticed this time around, um, kind of watching it, you know, just as an older viewer as opposed to watching it as a kid. Like as Stanley is carrying Zero up the mountain. Um, we see the curse actually lift, and um, Stanley the Third, his thing finally works. I thought that was neat. That's right. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Is that watching this movie now and like understanding like how dual plot lines work and things like that? Um, it's it's interesting watching it because there were a bunch of things that I watched as a kid. I was like, that makes no sense. And I watch it now, and it's like, oh, it did make sense. I was just an idiot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'll say the the one thing about it that I have kind of a problem about and that I have to criticize, I, I don't think all of the transitions between when they're telling us these different stories are all that great. Some of them seem... Uh, I guess I might say it's a pacing issue, but sometimes it seems like they give us a little bit of one of those flashback narratives, and they cut it off in a weird place. And then they show us what's going on with Stanley, and then without warning, we're back in the flashback, and it feels like we're watching a scene that we should have already seen. And also, it's weird because the style of the movie as a whole like changes at times when the flashbacks happen. Like, cause, cause for for lack of a better word, the style of this movie, when it's in present modern day, is very like early two thousands movie. Uh, which when I say that, it means like it means like everything is kind of like flashed out with light. Um, everything just kind of looks like tired. Do y'all get what I'm saying? Yeah, um, you you do kind of feel a little bit of the fatigue these characters mm-hmm. must be feeling. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. And I remember that that was like a thing that I had an issue with when I was watching it um, as a child. Is like it was one of those movies that I watched and I was like, everyone just feels tired. Um, 
But, uh, but then when you go to the 1800s specifically, and you see, like, uh, Kate Barlow's and Sam's relationship, which is one of the sweetest relationships mm-hmm. ever put on film. I love it. Um, like, I'm sorry. One of the sweetest things I've ever heard someone say in a movie that's not a rom-com <laughs> is just, I can fix that. And and how could that not spawn a meme? Am I right? <laughs> For real. For real. Even if um, he only said it once, that could have spawned a meme. But he said it enough times that we're like, all right, we're going to have to take this and run with it. <laughs> For real. But as the but whenever the movie transitions to those scenes, it like the thing, the tone of it does change. Do y'all do y'all agree with that? Yes. When it yeah, cuts. I mean, I- well, I was just going to say when it cuts to the orig- like the oldest narrative, the Eastern European one, mm-hmm. it seems a little campy and comical. You know, all the jokes about he's bringing his fattest pig, you know, not that and I'm not saying those things are are cheap at all. I think it's really good, but like you watch it and you know that kids are going to just chuckle because they're talking about fat pigs, you know, and there's a lot of like extreme close-ups and people saying weird things. So it's pretty tonally different. Um, it comes across as campy, and I think that narrative could have been told in, in different ways, and it could have been told in a way that's a lot more you know, serious and emotional. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I think I'm glad they didn't go that route, but like they could have, and that narrative could have been kind of more compelling to us as adults, I think, if they'd yeah. done that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's clear that the three stories that they tell are all three completely tonally different stories and what's yeah. interesting i think is how they balance it because uh, i mean i like I'll, I'll agree with what you said earlier about how some of the transitions are a little sloppy um from what i remember that's kind of how they are in the book because uh, it's normally like the end of a chapter so it'll just you get to the end of that and then we're gonna well, switch back over I, I haven't read the book. I honestly have always wanted to and just never did. Mm-hmm. But I, I imagine it's it makes more sense in the book because starting a new chapter gives you a very clear transition. And right. you don't know when those are happening in a movie, you know? Right. I think also, I think when we talk about, like, as the, as the story changes perspective, um, like, I think maybe one of the reasons that we do think that the transitions are kind of abrupt or kind of sloppy is it may just be that we're really enjoying that part of the story that's being told and to see it end like this is this is something that I notice I've been rereading um the Percy Jackson books uh I don't really know why I just have been um and it's gotten me thinking cuz when I was in high school and middle school the Heroes of Olympus books came out which were like the sequels to those Percy Jackson books, and I took issue with them because, as opposed to staying in one character's POV the entire time, every other, every, like, three chapters or so, they would switch characters. And at the time, I was like, this is, this is horrible writing. It's terrible. I hate it. And I'm sitting here as a 22-year-old now, and I'm just like, no, I think it's just I like certain characters and certain storylines a whole lot more than I like other ones. So when you have to take me out of that, it's it just makes me angry. Yeah, I mean, I get that. And I think that's uh, something that you're going to run into specifically with this. 
since these storylines are so different. Yeah. Because, I mean, one is kind of a coming-of-age story, one's an old Western, and then you've kind of got some, like, mysticism, kind of campiness. Yeah, um, it is kind of a mix of ingredients there. They make it work pretty darn well, though. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's cool how, I mean, obviously we remember from childhood where this story's going. I think the the mystery in this story is such that if we watched it as adults, we would kind of figure most of it out going into it. I mean, the KB on the what they think is a gunshot shell at first, like watching it as an adult, you're like, all right, I know where that's going. Or you know, figuring um, out that Zero is descended from Zeroni. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, whether that's the case or not, like, there's enough intrigue in this story to make you want to keep watching. Even if it's not the greatest mystery story ever written, it's enough to be compelling and make you want to know where it's all going to lead. Definitely. I mean, the characters are super interesting. Uh, Even though we don't focus on a lot of the other... Um, kids at the camp, like what little we do get to see of them, they're done really well, uh, yeah. especially X-Ray. And and they really are very well fleshed out characters because mm-hmm. there's there's not a single line that one of them says that could be said by anyone else. Right. Yeah. Uh, the acting is good too. Mm-hmm. It is. It is very good. Um. I, y'all, I tell you what, I love, I love Shia LaBeouf when he's really good. I love him when he's horrible, but I also really love him when he's good. Um, and every time I watch this movie, it's just like, it's just like, there was a Shia LaBeouf before Transformers, and he was really good. Oh yeah, you know, to this day, I have not seen Transformers. Or you should. It- you should. I recommend I, it. I haven't seen those movies, and I haven't seen Indiana Jones either. And I know there was a phase in his career when those are the things he was known for, but I didn't see those. So for he was known for his Indiana Jones movie uh, for the worst possible reasons. Infamy. Oh, okay. Infamy uh, as opposed to fame. Also, this is completely unrelated, but you talking about uh, Shia LaBeouf made me think of this. I don't know why, but in my head. I see a lot of similarities between Shia LaBeouf and Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can definitely And see I kind of want a movie with both of them in it now. I feel like there is one. Who would you watch? Both. Who would you pay attention to? Anyway. Redo face-off with Shia LaBeouf and Nicolas Cage. Let's do it. I was going to say, I, since I didn't see Transformers and Indiana Jones and all that stuff, like that sort of middle chapter of his career... For the longest time, I just knew Shia LaBeouf from this and even Stevens. And that was enough for me movie. to love this guy. Show. What'd you say, Ben? I love that show. Yeah, see, now Ben and I are dating ourselves for sure. Because even Stevens was kind of... That was the first thing I watched on Disney+. Plus. Oh, yeah. That's a good choice. He was so funny I think funny it might have show. been the first thing I watched on Disney+. Plus. Nice. Specifically, the musical episode... He was really funny on that show. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and he's he's not that funny in this one, but he shows that he's a good 
actor. He was a versatile actor at a young age. Yeah, and also there's just a sweetness to his performance. Like, I mean, like, it's very hard to write a character who's just like a good person as compelling. And he Stanley Yelnats is written as that. He is written in like a way that you want to root for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely like that. While we're on the acting, there is a large, there's a large little segment of this cast, uh, three heavy hitters um, that are magnetic. Like, when they come on screen, it is their show 100%, and I love it. And that is Tim, uh, Tim Blake Nelson, John Voight, and Sigourney Weaver as our villains of the movie as these uh crooked camp counselors <laughs> i love look really cheesy campy disney villains like there is nothing like it it's perfection mm-hmm. it's like and i think oddly enough i think early 2000s is like the peak time for it because you know you have this you have emperor's new groove with yzma Pull the lever, crunk. The greatest. Um, so good, so good. Uh, Wrong lever! You have, uh, I think he's really funny, but you have uh, Gantu and Hamsterville from uh, Lilo and Stitch, mm. which is just a grand old time. Um, yeah, so I mean, what, what do y'all think about their performances? What do you think about what they bring to the table? Because they're one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. Well, uh, Sigourney Weaver's a, a very intimidating presence in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, long I've just from the moment she steps on screen, I mean, they do all the obvious things to make her seem imposing. Mm-hmm. Like when she steps out of the car and it just starts with the single boot stepping out. You know, that's always the thing that makes you go, oh, who's this? But just the way she carries herself is intimidating. Mm-hmm. I... I always think it's interesting watching Sigourney Weaver really in anything because you have to think her breakout role was as Ellen Ripley in Aliens back in the 70s in which she had to play this unassuming like beast who could who could take command of a situation and could get out alive and to look at everything that she's done since then like she she plays this, she plays the role of Gwen Tani uh, in um, in Galaxy Quest so beautifully. She plays the ultimate villain in Cabin in the Woods, and she's literally only in five minutes of the movie, and she owns every single one of those five minutes. Like I love seeing her in a movie just because of, like Elijah was saying, the presence that she brings with her. It's yeah. it's fascinating to watch. So. I also kind of want to talk about uh, John Voight's character for a uh, second, uh, Mr. Sir. Um, I just think he's hilarious. Um, one, one of my favorite parts, it always makes me chuckle, is when he tells the story, uh, you know, once upon a time, there was this magical place where it never rained. The end. <laughs> yeah. Makes me crack up every single time. I really and love... I have no idea why. Yeah, it's that's a good moment, and I really love his very first scene when he introduces himself. And tells Stanley, go ahead and run. The buzzards will pick you clean. That whole scene, mm-hmm. that's really good. Um, but then from that point on, he starts to just seem 
more and more weaselly. Mm-hmm. And and what's really funny, and I think this is the thing that gets me with these villains, is that they have no they have no reason to be as good as they are. Right. These actors are like top quality actors. Like there's no reason that they should be giving this much effort in this movie, <laughs> but they do. Um and I I love them for it. Uh yeah, we do. Who's the third guy? And Tim Blake Tim Blake Shelton. Um or Tim Blake Nelson. Tim, Tim Blake, Blake Shelton. Shelton. <laughs> Tim Blake Nelson. Tim Blake Nelson. No, that's the country um, singer. Uh it's Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah, I like him too. He cracks me up. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal. Uh what's really funny is I saw the Ballad of Buster Scruggs again a few days ago and like I I honestly think it's his face. He looks like so much of a weasel. So it's great whenever I can just see him play a little weasel. I love it. It's so much fun. And he's he's one of those character actors who when he plays a villain like you forget that he is the person you're supposed to be rooting against. Uh-huh. Yeah. And of course he's he's a real jerk in this movie. But uh, he's also he's also the punching bag of the three, which is always fun. Yeah. Of course when um Sigourney Weaver's character comes around, anybody could be the punching bag. Yeah, that's um, true. But now Tim Blake Nelson he was in freaking Oh Brother Where Art Thou, right? I'm thinking of the yes, right he guy. Was. He's he hilarious was. in that movie. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think that's where my mind goes when I see him, I guess. Yeah. Um so okay. So we've talked about a lot of movies on this show that we have nostalgic ties to, um, and movies that our nostalgia definitely has an impact on the way that we view the movie. What do we think about the effects nostalgia plays on this movie in particular? You know, I I knew we were going to talk about this, and I'm still not prepared. <laughs> so, I I can go first, because I think, I think I can sum up my opinions on how the nostalgia factor plays into this movie with the way that I got excited when it finally came on Disney+. Plus. Like... Sitting down and watching it, I was terrified because I wanted it to be as good as I remembered it. Mm-hmm. And within like five minutes, I was like, oh, thank goodness. It's it's just as, if not better, it's just as good, if not better, than what I remember it being. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so refreshing to see a movie that, like, you do have those rose-tinted glasses, but when you pull them away... It still is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. Um, <clears throat> lately, I've been rewatching a lot of stuff um, that I watched from my childhood. Uh, like one thing specifically that uh, recently was added to Disney Plus uh, is American Dragon Jake Long, uh, and I loved that show growing up. But last night I tried to start watching it, and I did not make it through the pilot episode. Yeah. I was just like, oh my goodness, this is so bad. Yeah, man. I have had that experience with stuff from my childhood, too. And this movie holds up a lot better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This I, movie. I think, Go ahead. Uh, I think there's a lot more here for not just kids. And I think that's what helps it hold up. Yeah. It really makes me want to read the book. I got to read that book. But uh, <laughs> this. The movie does have its cheesy moments, for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, watching it as an adult now, 
at the end when the happy ending is starting to roll around. And, and it's, like, way too happy. It's like... Yeah, it's like, okay, they got their inheritance and they get to go home and and now the, all the antagonists are being arrested and we found out that Homeslice's name is Marion and that's embarrassing. And then <laughs> on top of everything it starts pouring down rain in this place where it never rains, and that's part of the reason it's so terrible. It starts this torrential downpour, and it's just like, all right, that's too good. Yeah, everything's but, tied up a little too neatly. Hey, and look, Zero like hires an entire team of private investigators to go and find um, his mom. To go and find yeah, I will mom. say that is one thing um that has always bugged me a little bit about this film they never really explained what happened yeah because watching that as an adult i'm like i don't know if that was actually the best idea um because like i mean in the movie i mean like context- I, I know stuff like that happens and yeah. like i don't want to like discount what happened between them but they don't really tell us what happened and I, that he was left at the park one day and she didn't come back. And I think the fact that we're a bunch of uh, older, cynical men um, who, you know, we just expect the worst out of people. Um, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't help. Right. Yeah. And then they say at the end uh, that she was looking for him the whole time, too. It's like, was she? I feel like they could have given us a little bit more on that. Yeah. But I mean at this point I'm I'm reaching for stuff. Yeah, well to not like about this movie. Even though I said things like that were cheesy and I stand by that, um I I gotta say also, it does seem like there's a there's a baked in, very easy explanation for all that. Their families were cursed the whole time and at the end that uh Stanley and Zero managed to break the curse, and that's why everything is happy now. <laughs> That's, well i mean technically the curse was only on stanley's family yeah i mean the zeronis were not cursed they were oh, the yeah, curse right. they were the cursors not the curses you're right yeah <laughs> um yeah also i think it's i do think this is funny and i always think it's funny whenever i see it um i love it whenever uh whenever they pull out that uh that certificate of stock for at&t um and it's like it was twenty five thousand dollars in nineteen hundred and and Stanley's mom like looks at him and is like how much is it worth now and he's like millions because <laughs> you know Mil- he, he's an expert in stocks it's like it's like clearly it's worth millions hold on I'm gonna I'm gonna look at this real quick <laughs> you're um, gonna do the math and figure out how much that's worth because it's two hundred thousand dollars in AT and T stock two hundred thousand I thought it was like twenty five thousand. No, excuse me. Okay, it's a hundred thousand because there's four certificates. Okay. All right, Doug. How much is that worth now? Well, gentlemen, I can't even get to go back to uh, 1904. Um, so I'm just gonna say how many zeros are after the one. So on one hundred thousand dollars worth of stock uh, for AT&T in 1915. Uh, to now, 2021, that would be one, and then there are three, six, nine zeros. So I think that's one billion dollars. That is indeed one billion dollars. Man. Wow. They're, they're rich. Well, I, I guess I guess Stanley's mom was right to look at him and be like, how much? 
millions. Millions. A whole 1,000 of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, 20 years later. Well, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, uh, This was, like, early 2000s. That's okay. That was 20 Um, years ago. That was 20 years ago. Oh, I'm old. Yeah, you are. Um, (laughs) All right, well, with that being said, let's score this sucker. Well, if this is your first time listening to Swee's a pretty simple scale... Uh, just 1 to 100, you can kind of think of it like an American grade scale, but really, everything's made up and the points don't really matter at the end Amen. of the day. Go dogs. But, you know, a uh, 100 is a perfect movie, that means there are absolutely no flaws with it, and a 1 means that it is an irredeemable pile of turds. So, who would like to go first? I'll go first. Alright, Doug. I might give this movie an 84. Okay. I think it's a really good movie. I really enjoy it. I I never have a bad time watching it. All right. What are you feeling, Elijah? Yeah, I was going to say 82. This is a very 82. good movie. I have to give it a B. I can't give it an A because it's not like one of the greatest movies ever made. Mm-hmm. But it's very enjoyable. No. It's a good time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. yeah. So, uh, Doug, I think I'm actually going to go with you and give it an 84. Um, I mean, like Elbo said, really good movie. Uh, I don't know that I would say it's necessarily great. Um I think it is something that holds up pretty well, though, after almost 20 years now. Yeah, uh, definitely. Let's see. After putting that into our patented scoreometer, <laughs> that gives us a final score of 83.3333333333. Yes, that's right, folks. TurboTax 3 Edition is 3. What? You've never seen those commercials? <laughs> no. There are TurboTax commercials where people... Where hey, Doug, people ask me what we're say, watching next week. Okay, yeah. Um, ben, what are we watching next week? Well, Doug, I'm glad you asked. We are going from something that was originally meant for kids to something that kids should never see. Never. It's dark Ever. and edgy Batman. Um, it's, it's not Batman versus Superman, which is also dark and edgy, but it is Batman the Killing Joke, um, generally seen as one of the darkest batman stories of all time um, and the movie is generally seen as a uh as kind of a misstep by dc animated films yeah yeah uh but we'll get into that next week uh i think it'll be a great time and you definitely will not want to miss it but until next week be sure to keep up with us on all of our social media stuff at vider media and until next week i'm ben i'm doug i'm elijah and this has been setting the skein y'all have a great week 